Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. Brian Freeman is a seasoned professional in the food industry, pun intended. The former Better Bakery CEO and former president of Snackworks is now the executive chairman of the low-carb, high-protein frozen food manufacturer, Real Good Foods, and he's guiding the company through a time of rapid growth. On today's episode, I chat with Brian about taking the company public and the pitfalls that new entrepreneurs need to avoid, other than empty carbs, of course. Enjoy the episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephanie. I'm really excited to talk today. I was looking through your LinkedIn and I mean, I would consider you an OG in the food space. I don't know if you've ever called yourself that, but I was looking, I was like, whoa, he goes back to 2000. Like he's been in this space for a long time. So I would love for you to start there and highlight, you know, a bit of your background. I know you've scaled and exited three companies and I think just giving the listeners a little details around who Brian is would be great. Yeah. You you know, Stephanie, it's funny. Um, I used to be the youngest person in the room and now I find that I am the OG. It's really an odd, odd feeling. And the smartest though. Like that probably feels good. You're like, I've been there, done that. I've been through these cycles. Like, let me avoid the pain before you do it. (laughs) You know, what's funny is, is in my thirties, I thought I was the smartest uh, person in the room. And uh, now I realize no way. Um, (laughs) I think business and life uh, has a real way of uh, teaching us humility. You know, I think I've really benefited. I've become a better operator because of being humble, uh, learning to listen uh, far more than talk. And uh, that was a big change for me from when I was in my 30s. But um, yeah, I mean, been in the frozen food manufacturing business for over 20 years, scaled and sold three businesses to large publicly traded strategics. 
Uh, I've also been on the buy side, uh, working with a couple of well-known private equity firms. Uh, and most recently, uh, prior to Real Good Foods, I was part of the team over at Advanced Pierre, where we took that company public. We achieved a market cap of uh, about 2.2, 2.4 billion. Uh, and then 15 months from going public, we were purchased by Tyson Foods for 4.2 billion. And you know, along the way, you meet really talented, highly motivated folks. And uh, part of Real Good Food Story is uh, bringing some of those uh, folks that are used to scale and high growth and bringing them over to Real Good Foods, which, you know, when I did that in 2017, uh, the business was probably only doing a half a million dollars direct to consumer. And, um, you know, we took the company public and in our guidance last quarter, uh, we guided to uh, between 150 and 160 million in revenue. So Wow. That's some good growth right there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting environment about growth. So uh, look forward to talking to you about that. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, what is Real Good Foods? You know, it's really simple. Our job, our mission is to take the carbohydrates and sugar out of your favorite foods and replace it with protein. Everybody within the company understands that mission and believes in it. Uh, we understand what carbohydrates, grains, and sugar really do to your body. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you look backwards. When I was a teenager, they told us, worry about fat and eat lots of grains and carbohydrates. And I immediately, you know, put on 20 pounds. And, you know, the result of these heavy grain-based diets is obesity is growing. Uh, you know, people with diabetes, almost a third of the U.S. population is either pre-diabetic or have diabetes. 40% of uh, people who died of COVID were obese. And so, you know, I think that we all understand now that sugar's not good for you. Carbohydrates are converted to sugar and uh, protein, you know, putting more protein in your diet really helps. So that's really what we're all about is taking your favorite foods and uh, converting them. And we think we can have a huge impact on the world. And um, if, if we can make delicious foods that uh, solve for those cravings. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been hearing this trend around how little protein we have in our diets. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this doctor, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, but like it's a big yep. thing where she talks about, you know, how much protein you should be getting. And I remember trying to add it up and I was like, oh, wow, no wonder so many of us are deficient in that. And so, yeah, it's an awesome idea, awesome company. And I'm sure people have seen the brand. I mean, I've seen it in stores popping up recently. It seems like you guys are growing very quickly throughout retailers. I wanted to hear about the strategy behind that because it sounds like this company started D2C, but then when I look on the website and I look at, yes, I went through your investor reports, I'm that nerd, but it looks like retail is like the biggest growth for this company and like how you guys are actually spreading. Yeah. You know, the way we think about D2C is more of a marketing uh, approach and a way to build out our community. And, uh, you know, we're, and I'll get deeper into that later in the conversation. You know, we are a retail uh, grocery business, um, and that's where we want to win. When it comes to frozen food, the most efficient way to get uh, frozen food to the consumer still is uh, through the retail channels. However, uh, we focus a lot about where the order actually originates. We don't care about the last mile. So if the order originated on the retailer's website or on Instacart or whatever, that's great. And we over-index there uh, against our peers. Over 30% of all of our revenue originated on a screen. Our peers in the frozen food businesses in the single digits. So we're proud of that. And that's helping retailers grow their category too, because we're helping them connect the digital world with the physical world. And that's really a result of, uh, you know, Real Good Foods has uh, probably the largest 
social media following of any frozen food brand in America today. That's really our growth engine. That's our secret sauce. Got it. Okay. So you're getting the awareness on the social platforms. And then when they get on the Instacarts, the Amazons, they see it there and they're like, they connect the dots. And that's how you were able to more penetrate the, you know, purchases instead of waiting for person like someone to show up in the grocery aisle to be like, oh, let me try this out. Like they already had that awareness. That's right. And, you know, the idea that you're going to make, you know, an interesting package and just stick it on the shelf and win is uh, kind of obsolete. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's old school CPG. It doesn't work anymore. And, uh, you know, better than anyone else, Stephanie, that awareness has to start digitally um, and you drive demand to retailer shelves. Retailers appreciate that about us because that's how we're able to grow their categories. One of the unique things that I've never seen before in my career about Real Good Foods is we're highly incremental to the categories we participate in. So as an example, 46% of the people who recently purchased our our single-serve entrees hadn't purchased frozen food out of the category in the prior 52 weeks. Wow. So we're not really here to take share. Yeah. We're, we're here to, to grow and help our retail partners grow their categories. Oh, that, that's great. So how do you, I mean, you have this great social media presence. What does it look like behind the scenes to actually get fans? Because to me, that's such a hard category to keep people interested in, engaging with like a frozen food brand. Like what is the secret sauce behind the social media strategy? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's three pillars. One is, is having a very clear mission and delivering on that mission to people who care. The second key learning is uh, we don't look at demography. You know, old school CPG, I think, is overly focused on that construct, and I think it's actually obsolete. Instead, we look at need state. What I mean by that is if you unfortunately have diabetes, uh, that's a need state for us. If you are into fitness, if you are a protein seeker, If you're an online gamer, if you're into Call of Duty, okay, these are uh, different communities that we help organize and communicate with. And so internally, that's a third piece. I believe you can't buy this. You have to do it internally. Um, You can't hire an agency or an aggregator uh, to win, which I've seen, uh, you know, being parts of larger, big, old school CPG, I've seen millions of dollars just get destroyed. Uh, People trying to do that doesn't work. So at Real Good Foods, we have community managers that uh, live and breathe the brand and work with that community. And it's based on the need state. And so the other thing is, is we, we focus on micro and nanos. And, you know, we think that authentic two-way conversations is how, how you win. And in our case, we're simply sending our products out to uh, our community and saying, hey, what do you think? If you like it, post about it. Great. If, if you think it's terrible, post that too. Say that too. And let's keep it real and uh, exciting and engaging. That's how we've been able to do what we've done. Yeah, got it. And what's crazy is I don't see people in frozen food doing this. No, you know? <laughs> no. That's why I'm so interested in this. I'm like, where did this idea come from? <laughs> you know, it's kind of cool to be in the frozen food business because it's literally like being in the 1980s or 90s. And mm-hmm. uh, so there's a need there and we're addressing it. Yeah. So where are these communities located at? I mean, to me, you've got your main feed, but you probably can't connect with a Call of Duty community at the same time as a fitness community. I don't know. Maybe you can, but it seems like it's such different messaging and needs. Like, Absolutely. So you have separate community managers for each need state. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're part of that community to begin with. And got so uh, that's, how, that's how we roll. Mm-hmm. So are they like 
inside the Reddit threads or like that's how they're connecting oh, with this community. They're in, yeah. How do we find these folks? Like you're inside Call of Duty hanging out with them there or yeah. And how do you make that organic? If so, where you're showing up as a brand being like, hello, nice to see you guys here. <laughs> it, it really varies by community. In the case of gamers, you're going to find them actually through YouTube and mm-hmm. on those channels. And some communities over-index actually in Facebook, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. There's still some communities uh, that are very much into that uh, outlet. And then obviously IG, you know, because IG is all about um, how you look. Yeah. Okay. That's where you're going to go for, you know, some of your fitness people and folks like that. So yeah. uh, each outlet kind of skews to each community. I've always thought there's like this opportunity to take Facebook groups and just make a whole new company out of it because most people probably don't really want to be on Facebook anymore. <laughs> I mean, I- Maybe some people do, but I don't. But I'm like, I, the groups, like there's these mom groups on there, like certain groups yeah. on there, I'm like, are actually helpful. It's just actually getting on Facebook and having to see my friends from like high school. I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> What's kind of crazy is, and I was surprised to see our team do this actually, is they started a, a Facebook VIP group and it's been incredible. The engagement, and this is fairly recent for us, the engagement and feedback and authentic conversations going on in that group is remarkable. What we learned from those uh, conversations cascades throughout the company and our product development folks and R&D folks. So I don't know, Stephanie, maybe it's almost like uh, you get out of it what you put into it, maybe. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to thinking about the D2C landscape right now and then seeing you guys kind of going a different way, focusing more on retailers and using D2C as, you know, awareness. What do you think about this landscape right now where a lot of companies are kind of avoiding retailers and they think just selling to consumers is, you know, the way of the future. But then when you think about how to actually grow and scale, you usually see it's the opposite. It's actually getting into these retailers and letting them kind of, you know, do the work for you. But like, what's your view of this landscape? You know, um, obviously it depends on the different products, but with food in particular, click and collect is working and it's been working for a long time. And it's also sticky. Once our brand finds its way into your cart, you know, it kind of stays there and people just hit reorder. So mm-hmm. making investments, getting in there on the retailer websites and getting into people's preloaded carts is, uh, you know, the ROAS that we're seeing on that uh, is, is significant. And I don't see it going away. I mean, especially in frozen food, it, it's far more efficient to get your food if you're willing to drive to the retailer and have those groceries already preloaded or going through Instacart it makes a lot of sense. That that last mile uh, is very expensive. Yeah. And uh, as you see the consumer get more and more pressure because of high fuel prices, I, I just think that Click and Collect will continue to win. Mm-hmm. What are you doing behind the scenes to kind of make sure that happens, make sure you're ending up you know, in their carts or make sure that the retailers are working with you in a way that your product's being highlighted? Like, how are you yeah, orchestrating that? Sure. Well, I mean, it all starts with the community, which we've already talked about. But in terms of uh, ad spend, you know, we're seeing uh, great returns uh, advertising and working with uh, the retailers' websites. It helps Mm -hmm. you target other, you know, our our game is is we're we're not targeting consumers within Frozen, but there are protein seekers, sugar reducers outside of Frozen. So if you're buying a one bar or, or beef jerky or whatever, we want to talk to you and bring you over to the frozen food aisle. So the retailers are uniquely positioned to uh, help us target that. Yeah, I was reading about that being one of the biggest trends of being able to you know, advertise on the Walmarts or the Target's website and how 
more brands should be focusing on that strategy instead of, you know, the traditional maybe Facebook or however else they've been doing it. Like there's a big opportunity there that hasn't maybe been fully leveraged right now. Huge. Uh, we've leaned in there. Um, however, like all things, uh, you, you get to a point where you really do get uh, diminishing returns. So mm-hmm. there's only so much you can really spend. Yeah. In the beginning, you know, you're getting six for one, you know, and you're just like, okay, let's just spend everything, you know, yeah. and then uh, six for one turns into one for one. And that's when you got to back off. But uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great technique. Yeah. That's like with everything, all type of ad spends, like exciting. Yeah. And then like, oh, now I got to uh, have to go find something else now. Yep. We call it drilling for oil. We just, we just keep drill, drill, drill. And then when we hit, when we hit pay dirt, man, we, we roll in. Yeah, that's great. So tell me about your all's IPO going public because thinking about a, you know, a frozen food company, it wouldn't be the first company that'd be like, "Oh yeah, you totally should go public." So I want to hear, you know, like why did you all want to go public and maybe how has that helped accelerate growth? If it has, like what does that look like? Sure. You know, and as we talked about earlier in my past the typical path when you need to raise capital, and by the way, food manufacturing is very capital intensive. The, the normal path and what I've done in, in my prior career is you go to private equity, raise capital. But the problem with that is, or it could be a good thing, that, that what I didn't want to do with Real Good is once you do that, Stephanie, you're on kind of a three to five year treadmill to go and then sell the business uh, to a strategic. And you know, with Real Good Foods, I really felt like, and I still, you know, my conviction's even stronger. So it's a once in a career opportunity. I mean, this brand is um, so loved and so scalable, and we're dealing with a very large TAM that's unaddressed. I didn't want to do that. I really uh, believe that this has an opportunity to become a billion dollar company. And so the only other option really to raise capital is going public. And it was a great experience. And the other benefit of going public is our ability to recruit the best talent. You know, it's so much easier and cleaner to incentivize people that understand the mission and have executed it in the past and can really scale the business. So going public has been great. Um, I also, you know, we have some of the largest retail uh, institutional investors in the world invested in the business. These are very smart folks that bring experience from other industries, specifically from where you come from, and they share their insights with us. And uh, so we're learning from our institutional investors as well. And the rigor of reporting quarterly is, uh, is exciting and yeah. very uh, stimulating. And it adds, a, it adds a hell of a lot of discipline to the business. Yeah. And uh, I'm enjoying that as well. Yeah, it always, uh, I mean, I used to work in finance for a while and had to pull together the 10Ks and all this and just thinking about going public and like for any company and having to, you know, work within all the rules, it always makes me like, oh, sounds a little scary. And I think that's probably what holds, you know, a lot of these companies back from even thinking about that route and instead choosing, you know, investor money. But like you said, then you're all of a sudden on this crazy growth goal, you need to return the fund. And I feel like it's like putting a lot of pressure on companies that maybe should actually just be around for the long term and grow sustainably instead of forcing growth within three to five years. That's right. You know, and the other thing it does is besides the internal controls is, uh, you know, we were able to attract an incredible board of directors. Mm -hmm. It's a collection of folks that are operators that exercise us uh, rigorously. I mean, these are not folks that check in once a quarter. Uh, we're having discussions weekly. And so we would not have that either if uh, we were still private. Yeah. So 
how did you think about building a good board? And what does it mean to be a good board member? Because I mean, I at least know with, you know, when thinking about getting board members for mission for my company, I'm like, eh, everyone has a different idea of like what actually being on the board could mean and like what level of help you get. So like, how would you advise, you know, founders who are thinking about having a board? Like, how do you find good members? And what does that involvement look like? Yeah. Um, so first off, I tell my uh, children, I said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I yeah. feel the same way with these companies, you know, show me your board and I'll show you your future. And so number one, to me, for us in these high growth environments, we wanted operators, people who are still on the field operating and uh, businesses that we want to someday become. That was number one. Number two, people who are not on a lot of other boards. That, you know, this whole thing about folks that just collect board seats uh, makes zero sense for a high growth business. And then to answer your question more specifically, we thought about it by discipline. So as an example, we have the uh, former CFO of Beyond, right? So he is communicating and working with our finance team quite a bit. Someone from uh, Hormel, she spent 31 years inside that company. She reports directly to the CEO, incredible operator. And, uh, you know, she exercises us pretty well. You know, and so I can go around the table with, with uh, our board members, but they're folks like that, that care about the business. And, you know, the other thing that I did early on is we did an offsite. We did a two-day offsite together and built some camaraderie. And we've also encouraged them to communicate uh, directly with each other. And that's kind of the benefit your board members can get when you put together a board is the relationships are going to build with fellow board members. And one good board uh, member attracts another. And uh, so that's kind of how we've approached it. I would say the other thing to your audience is, is you'll be shocked that there are lots of really talented, uh, experienced people that uh, want to be don't think, oh, my company's so small, you know, so-and-so is not going to join. I think you'll be shocked of uh, how generous people are with their time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're interested in you, they, they understand the mission of your company and they want to get involved. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Yeah, I agree. I always am wary of anyone who is on the board of like many companies where I'm like, "Mm, I want someone who's going to spend time with me. And, you know, make sure that like I can be a focus and not, like you said, someone who's collecting board seats to put it on their LinkedIn. Yeah, for sure. When you all were going public, was there any surprises that maybe, I mean, I know you've been in this space for a while, so maybe not many things surprised you, but like, were there any surprises when going public um, that maybe yet that you weren't expecting? Well, candidly, you know, we went public in November and uh, literally three days later, growth stocks just uh, absolutely uh, tanked. Mm -hmm. And we see that continue to play out. We were not expecting the market, the macro environment for high growth uh, stocks and equities to get cut by, you know, as much as 70%. And you're seeing that uh, in the NASDAQ today. If If you take out the big large cap companies from the NASDAQ and look below that, Uh, you know, you see 50 to 70% declines uh, just in the last six months. So we did not expect that. 
fortunately, we raised enough money. We don't need to go back out and raise. And our job is to just, you know, continue to try to build credibility with investors, uh, you know, meet the guidance and do what we say we're going to do quarter after quarter. And uh, eventually, you know, things will revert to the mean. And, um, you know, you'll see these high growth businesses, uh, the multiples change, uh, you know, but it, it could take a while. Yeah. How do you not only stay focused yourself, but also keep your employees focused and your team focused when there's so much media and things being thrown about like how bad everything is and it's only going to get worse next year? We're going to be in a recession in 2023, you know, after the elections and all this. Like, how do you keep your team focused? Because I could see that. I mean, I remember when I worked at Google, I was always looking at the stock price and being like, oh, no, my stock prices, they went down. Like, it was such like a thing that I started paying attention to that it could be pretty distracting from like my day to day. Like, let's do what we're here to do, people. Yeah, I, I think when you're in a high growth environment, you're able to be distracted by the growth. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we doubled uh, over the last year and we continue to grow. So, you know, I think the growth keeps people focused. And I think we all believe that at some point markets are going to turn around and uh, the stock price will take care of itself. Yeah. We're hearing that from our investors as well. The institutions that are involved, you know, so long as you do what you say you're going to do, it's long only money and they're going to stay in. Mm -hmm. So what's your outlook on the next couple of years then? Because I've heard such mixed opinions around where things are headed and a lot of people kind of like preparing their company for, you know, what may come. Like, how are you all thinking about the next couple of years and maybe what are you doing, if anything, to prepare? What we did when we saw the market turn is we brought forward our commitment and our plan by one year to become profitable. When we went public, we told we told institutions that we would not be profitable till 2024. Wow. And when we saw that market turn, Stephanie, we yeah. were like, okay, all right. Today's the day. <laughs> it's a it's a new it's a new day. And yeah. so on our last call, we we said we would uh, be uh adjusted EBITDA profitable in uh, Q4 this year. Or the adjustments you made become profitable? Because I'm sure people listening are like, yeah, Brian, I want to become profitable within a year too. Like, what did you do behind the scenes to accelerate that? You, know, you start saying no uh, yeah. to some growth opportunities that are just there to growth that don't have the margin profile that you need. Mm -hmm. You back off your longer term investments with regard to marketing. And uh, you don't build SG&A ahead of the, uh, of the revenue that you see. And, and, you know, if you think you've got a year of runway, you, you know, you better plan for three years. I'm not saying it's going to take three years to turn around, but it's all about runway. And, um, you know, the, the, the folks that aren't going to accept that or the folks that don't accept the uh, new valuations of their businesses, okay, are, may not be around uh, a year from now. And I see people out there trying to raise money right now who have to raise money that refuse to accept the new valuations. And they're, they just aren't willing to accept the possibility that their business may not be here a year from now. And, uh, you know, you need to really start thinking along those lines and those terms. You know, it's just the same thing. You know, a lot of people said inflation was transitory. Well, now listen to those same people uh, talk today, right? Yeah. Right now, just keep your head down and grind. And um, that's what we're doing. I guess I'd summarize it by saying, you know, look at the current state and deal with it. Look, I, you said I was an OG. I, I was operating in 2008, 2009, when the banks just shut down lending. That was very informative for me. Um, right now, you're seeing company valuations get slashed. You've got to accept that current reality. And uh, just, you know, those who survived this, 
are going to become bigger and better uh, companies. Mm-hmm. You know, the companies that were started in 08, 09 in the tech side are the ones that are some of the best technology companies today because those those disciplines were put in place early on. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I had a, there's this investor I follow where he was saying that either if it's the person who is advising you or helping you like run your business or investing your money, you want to make sure that they were investing money in like the 70s, like 74, 75. Like if they didn't go through that, then they don't know how to invest, you know, in the correct time period, which could be to come. And same thing with like running businesses. If you didn't, weren't around in the 70s or 2008 and like were able to kind of see what it took to get through that. He's like, you should be cautious of people who, you know, have only been investing for the past 10 years or building a business for the past 10 years because it's not really a good representation of maybe the environment that we could enter into and how, you know, how to get through it. That's right. You know, and, you know, I think about the institutions that um, invested in us. I think about the families that depend on uh, the company mm-hmm. uh, when I'm making decisions. You know, and I think sometimes these these uh, inexperienced uh, high growth entrepreneurs aren't thinking about that, and um, and they're not really thinking about the true downside scenario. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like the food industry, I mean, from the outside looking in, it looks like your guys' margins are great, like compared to what I've seen other food industries having. But you tell me, like, what do you think is a good average margin to have for a company? I think I saw yours was maybe like eighteen percent ish or so. Yeah. Um, you know, our long-term uh, goal is to be at 35% gross margins. And the path for us to get there is uh, through the opening of this new facility outside of Chicago and Bolingbrook. Highly automated facility, uh, state-of-the-art, and it really allows us to manufacture at the scale of uh, the multi-billion dollar multinational strategics. And so with that, uh, level of automation, uh, we'll be able to get our margins to where they need to be. Um, we're guiding to the low 20% range, which gets us to profitability. But, um, you know, 32, 35 is where we want to be in the long run. And uh, that would put us in the world-class range for uh, uh, frozen food manufacturers. Yeah, that's great. So what's it looking like opening up this facility? I mean, are you in the weeds with it where you're like part of the day-to-day or are you kind of watching from afar? It is game on, you know, myself and our CEO, Jerry Law. I mean, uh, we're living in the plants. I spend most of my time in our city of industry facility, uh, which is in Southern California. Jerry's in uh, Bolingbrook today, and he's been living there. And that's what it takes. You know, a lot of times you get you create these ivory towers where leadership is so disconnected from what's really happening, especially in a manufacturing business. It really takes being on the floor and working with the teams directly and, and also having the experience of having done it before, I think is the other key. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw on your Instagram, you were all suited up in the plan. I'm like, oh, he's in it. He's on the ground floor. Oh, yeah. No, it's funny. It's funny. So um, I, I come home smelling like uh, fried chicken. It's so funny. So I literally have to, my backpack, everything has to be kept outside the house. And uh, I literally change my clothes in the laundry room, okay, uh, as I enter the house because uh, I come home smelling like the plant. <laughs> That's great. But like at least gluten-free, you know, fried foods, like only the best kind of fried foods. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, so frying is actually, if you're using the right oils and everything, it's it, and we use a grain-free, low-carbohydrate, high-protein breading system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we've taken the carbohydrates out of it and uh, it's actually really good for you. Yeah. 
It looks good. I have not tried the food yet, but I'm excited to because after learning more about it and seeing the mission and actually looking at the ingredients and now starting to see it popping up in like the Whole Foods and places like that, I'm like, it's next on my list. I'm really excited. So I want to hear a bit about maybe some trends or technologies that you're watching um, because you've seen so much. Like, is there anything now today that you see coming down the pipeline that you're like, oh, that could be exciting for frozen foods or maybe we'd want to try out that technology or are you more just focused on like just the foundation right now? You know, um, from a technology standpoint, automation is a is a big piece to uh, frozen food manufacturing today. We're seeing a lot of cool things happening in packaging as well. So excited about that. Stepping away from the frozen food industry, uh, you're going to laugh, but I really think SMS texting is a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Tell me why. I'm not laughing. I've actually heard that quite a few times on the show. So, you know, we're really, we're really intentional. We have 250,000 SMS text subscribers. Wow. And when we push a text out, uh, we get over a 90% open rate. And so making that investment and getting those subscribers on board. And then obviously when something happens in that area code where, uh, you know, our products show up at a new retailer, whatever, we'll push that text we're able to really drive demand. And, you know, as you see smart speaker technology, household penetration continue to grow, I think that SMS text will be the last way for these emerging brands to communicate directly with their end user. So, you know, if, you, if you're running a startup right now or whatever, I, I really think that those are great investments. Our ambition is to have over a million subscribers to our text, and uh, I, I'm a big believer in it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the best way to connect, thinking about email lists and all that and all the privacy changes. I'm just like, I don't know if that's the way of the future anymore. I mean, I've had many people debate me that emails are still, you know, the gold, but... We don't see it. We see less than a 7% open rate Mm -hmm. with emails. And by the way, it's a nuisance. You know, I mean, with tech subscribers, you know, they subscribed in. We're very intentional. We're thoughtful. We only send a few out every month. Uh, We make it count. And uh, I think it's important. So what are you sending out in these texts? Because I've had some companies send me texts where I'm like, that's actually helpful. It might be educational. It might be funny. And I've had some that just blast me with like, sale, sale, so many sales happening around you. And it's like too much and not that helpful and where I wouldn't stay on the subscriber list. So what are you all doing to get those good open rates and keeping them around? Yeah, what what gets our community excited is new products Mm -hmm. and how to get them. That's number one. And then, yeah, I mean, when we every now and then we'll pulse and go on on sale. And if it's at a retailer within that area code, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll push that too. really basic stuff, but it actually works. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm bullish on that, too. So I'll have to sign up for your text list and see what y'all are doing. Cool. (laughs) All right. So I want to hear a piece of advice that you would maybe go back and give yourself or to a new founder. What's one piece of advice you would give? Listen. Yeah. Listen more mm-hmm. for sure. And also be thoughtful of the folks you surround yourself with. Make sure that they're smarter or better at doing things than yourself. The other thing is, as I, as I mature, is um, I spend much more time you know, recruiting uh, talent and also developing the folks that are already here. You know, at the end of the day, building that team is really what's going to continue the growth of the business. Yeah. So what, what kind of now, of course, my follow-up is what kind of avenues are you finding to find the best candidates? I mean, we hear about, you know, the great resignation and it's really hard to keep talent these days and that people are just job hopping all the time. Like, how are you finding a good funnel for candidates and then like keeping them engaged? 
Yeah, uh, that's turning over now, obviously. So you, we're going to enter a period where the availability of, of talent is going to be better than it has been in probably, I don't know, last five to 10 years. Mm, that's good. I like your optimism. Everything's headed up. <laughs> well, look, it's because things are headed down, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, you're, you're going to start seeing a lot of more layoffs. It'll cascade throughout all industries. And that's going to make, uh, you know, really highly talented folks looking for growth want to come over to earlier stage businesses. One of the things that that we do is uh, let folks know uh, going in what life is like within a high growth business. Mm -hmm. Super important. <laughs> and really let them know what they're, what they're signing up for. And one of the things we say, and, and I truly believe this is, is uh, it's going to be tough, but you're going to look back on this period of your career and want to do it again. Mm -hmm. You know, when you find folks that are addicted to growth, in that type of environment, um, they seek it out. And those are, the, those are the type of people we need to grow these businesses. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I saw a funny post on Twitter where it said, you know, day one on a corporate job, and I used to work like places like Fannie Mae's, day one on the corporate job is, here's what a password is, and here's what hacker means, and here's how to retrieve your password. That's like day one. And day one at a high growth company or a startup is, here's your job and learn how to do it by the end of the day <laughs> to stay here. <laughs> Yeah. You know, what it really comes down to is you're going to be making decisions with imperfect information and you're going to be making decisions sooner than you would have at a more mature business. And so as one of the leaders within the business, uh, my job is to de-risk those decisions. You know, we're not going to get them all right and let folks know going in that that's OK. Just acknowledge that, you know, the, the choice we made didn't work and let's call another play and let's go run that one. That's a good thing to uh, instill in the team. Yep. Fail fast. Yeah. I like it. All right. Let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And this is where I ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Brian? No, I'm not ready. <laughs> no, 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 not today. Okay. It's a high growth environment, Brian. We got to go quick here. <laughs> All right. First question. If you could choose one podcast or podcast episode as mandatory listening for all commerce leaders, which one would you choose and why? Big fan of the besties over at uh, All In podcast. It, in fact, it's, require, it's a requirement within Real Good Foods uh, leadership to listen to those folks every week. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I actually don't know of them. So thank you for the recommendation. Next one. What do you not understand today, but wish you did? Macro environment. What's going to happen? Um, <laughs> you know, at, at a high level over the next uh, four to eight quarters. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's, uh, I've heard that quite a few times on the show. So you're not alone. When was the last time you tried something new? Oh, um, I, just a couple days ago, I went and did uh, some fly fishing and uh, got really deep into it. Oh. I'm really trying to do more things that I haven't done in the past. I feel like just learning makes me a better operator in, in the business, learning mm -hmm. new things, being vulnerable, asking for help. Mm -hmm. How do I do this? Being around experts of a totally new subject matter really helps me be a better operator. Okay. So what are you watching or looking at? Like, are there any industry leaders that are outside of your industry that you follow closely? Or how do you kind of bring yourself into these different industries that maybe you're not naturally aligned towards? Yeah, I think diversity of thought uh, is really important and I'm doing it through podcasts. So, you know, this morning I was listening to Lex Friedman, yeah. right? Uh, and just doing that is uh, really helping me uh, be a better operator for sure. I like that. All right, last one. What's the next big step you need to take? 
It can be personally, it can be in a company, wherever you want to take it. I feel like we just need to change our food system. Uh, you know, too many carbohydrates and grains. And I know it sounds like I'm pitching my own book, but I really, we really believe it. We need to eat more protein, less sugar, get it out of our diets. And if I can, if we can make uh, delicious food that we all want to eat and get the carbohydrates and sugar out of it and replace it with protein, we're going to have a huge impact on everyone. Yeah, I like it. Got to get some lobbyists over there. Get rid of that food pyramid that I don't even know if anyone listens to that. You got to invert it the other way. Change it around or just, I mean, I think people probably are ignoring that anyways at this point, but still, it's sad if they're still using that. For sure. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is really fun. Uh, Where can people learn more about Real Good Foods? You know, on IG is a great way to see what's going on at Real Good Foods. Find us in the grocery store and tell us what you think. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.